Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Zarar. I'm Gino. I'm Cheesy. I'm Trevor. Happy New Year. And here we are back with the gang. And we got a topic just hot off the presses, just, just baking. It's still hot. It's still fresh. Let's dive into it. Uh, and the topic is what architectural patterns are more conducive to CD? Uh, perhaps we talk about uh, what are some of the architectural patterns and designs that facilitate better continuous delivery or make the path to continuous delivery easier and um, you know more more manageable. Um, Cheesy, you 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 brought up this topic uh, right before the podcast when we were talking about microservices, and we we, we referenced an article which which kind of debated: do we really need microservices or do we really need modules? Uh, and the whole article kind of slammed microservices, saying that they were not really needed for high-performing uh, teams, and that they really only existed, or they primarily existed, to, de to deal with some specific scaling issues. And uh, what they facilitated was. Uh, a better isolation of teams in the sense that you could have teams work on particular uh, components independently and that would result in overall speed. But expanding that topic further, uh, microservices is just one architectural pattern. Other ones that kind of come to your mind would say, this is something that is not required, but really helps a team's journey to continuous delivery. So I think I want to start at a really high level first and then we can start to drill down into it. You know, the, the, the first thing that, 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 that I think is really important is that whenever we do a deployment, we don't have to deploy a large amount of code. So I think the most important thing is that whenever we do a deployment, that we don't have to deploy a lot of code. Now, that tends to cause us to start to think about services itself. But the reason we don't want to deploy a lot of code is because a lot of code potentially has a lot of rapid changes, which introduces risks. So the more we can confine our deployment to a smaller grouping of code, a smaller subset of code, uh, that the safer it is in general. And this doesn't necessarily only apply to continuous delivery, but I think it applies to just safe uh, software development in general. So if you start with that premise or with that idea, then you start to work backwards and you say, you know, if we're going to have, you know, a multi-tiered application, then we should start to strive towards smaller, self-contained little services. As Zarar said in his intro, that also has some nice uh, benefits in that if you have multiple teams working on the code base, you could have teams focus in a specific area, you know, and, and we don't have now multiple teams necessarily stepping into the same code, stepping on each other. So it takes away some of the uh, collaboration that might, you know, very uh, close collaboration that might be necessary, you know, if multiple teams were working in the exact same code base, which again, drives risk down a little bit. So, so I think at the high level, what we want to look for is how can we divide our code so that we deploy small, small little chunks. Can I can I ask for a clarification there, Cheesy? Because one of the things that I noticed is that you're talking about deploying a large chunk of code, but I'm I'm going to assume that you're talking about deploying a lot the code that is incorporated in the change. That that's that's the code. If your application is, let's say, a monolith, just to for for sake of uh, of argument, um, but you're only deploying. A small change. You, you always need to deploy the entire monolith, but there's only a small change that goes into production. Would that um, align with your des description? It it does not. 
Okay. So a, a, a large monolith by its very nature brings a lot of risk associated with it. And, and large monoliths, the, the uh, deployments are typically incredibly complex and cumbersome, which, which again, brings a lot of risk itself. So uh, actually the client that I'm working with right now has a big monolith. So, and some of what we are doing is we are peeling services out of this monolith. And now the services we are able to deploy much, much more frequently that where the monolith, you know, it, it, you know, there's 25, 30 teams working in this monolith. So they're always stepping on each other there because the communication and a group that large is really difficult. And so, so yeah, I, I think if we have a monolith then, and you want to drive toward continuous delivery, that would be an architecture that I would seriously recommend avoiding or staying away from. So, so even services, you know, so much of what we call services out there these days are huge chunks of code. You know, that, that there, uh, Zarar mentioned uh, an article that talks about microservices. But I hear people talk about microservices and then you peel it back and there's 2,000 lines of code in it, you know, and, and so, and it's hitting four different databases and making external calls, you know, so, uh, so that really doesn't fall into that, that, that definition of a, of a microservice. And that also falls into the definition of something that's very complex. And so whenever that thing is very complex, I would, again, look for ways to try to divide that out. One of the one of the, the the best ways to facilitate that would be, for example, consumer driven contracts, right? So so uh, because because often we see in large organizations that uh, that let's say a, a team is responsible for a, for for a certain part of a, of, of a system. Let's say in a in a, in a credit card system, they are responsible for let's say credit card services, right? Now now what happens is that. That often these teams build these these Swiss Army knife interfaces or these or these large large huge uh, APIs that can that can handle everything because for for them is the most thing is we build it once right this is the famous we build it once but but what often they 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 kind of fail to to notice and fail to see the challenge that now when I have let's say ten teams using these or 10, 10 different applications or groups. Let's say there's a mobile app, there's a, there's a web app, you know, all using these, these credit card services. In the moment when one now needs a different field or upgrade this, now the other nine also has to retest or also needs to needs to make this change. So, so there are a bunch of ways to mitigate it. Like API versioning is one important pattern, but I would like to actually call out consumer-driven uh, uh, contracts or consumer-driven APIs, where where technically this team would build ten different APIs for all to all ten different teams. I can hear our listeners now freaking out or whoever watched. Like, what do you mean ten different ten different APIs? But underneath the hood, those ten different APIs can can ultimately have just layer of abstraction, right? They don't have to be each of them duplicate code. But the key. The key point here that when a new uh, uh, team or this one of the teams come with a change, they can accommodate that change without impacting the other nine. Now, how they do it internally, that's not, not another conversation, but it gives them way more flexibility. So, so this is a, uh, I consider this an architectural pattern because this should be probably across the entire organization, which is, which is uh, consumer driven uh, APIs. So, Chaba, I was just going to say uh, uh, I've heard people talk about things like GraphQL might be the solution to what you're discussing. What, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, GraphQL is, is is hard to performance uh, tune. Uh, it it definitely can you you can definitely start executing a lot of queries you don't need, and you sort of have to have some idea on what the consumer wants. It's not like you can really give everything to the consumer. Go, it's not it's not a marketplace. Go pick whatever you want because everything you want has an associated cost with it. So without having a really clear idea on what the customer wants, you may end up designing a very amazing GraphQL interface, but it's not going to be performant. And there's also some issues with, with, with testability in it. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to like the, the monolith because I'm I'm not gonna be die here on the monolith hill by any means. Uh, but I have seen examples where there are monoliths. Many have with, many many have there are. With, with, well it's not gonna be me. I'm just I'm just gonna make the case I'm gonna give you an example of where there is a monolith but which has very very good modules built on top of it which allow for continuous delivery. And the example that I'm currently working on on the side project is an e-commerce system called Medusa, M-E-D-U-S-A, Medusa.js. It's an open source e-commerce system, extremely well-designed REST APIs. And once you, and they share the same database, uh, it's a Postgres database, uh, everything is stored in there, it's extensible. But the, what, what, I, what, I, what I liked about the architectural pattern there is that each REST API, for example, customers, orders, prices, taxes, currencies, whatever, they map very neatly to uh, an individual module, which is basically a folder with a bunch of TS files in it. And it's organized really, really well. So if I want to make a change to the, uh, let, let's say I want to add, add a, overwrite a price, I can actually confidently make change to the price module. Yes, they all talk to the same database, but the way the code is, the, the modules are organized makes me feel very confident that I'm making the right change without breaking anything else. Yes, during deployment, you got to deploy, uh, well, I, I guess I could tease them out into different microservices, but right now it's just like one one, one node, one uh, express application. So I don't necessarily think monoliths prevent you from doing uh, continuous delivery. They just put even more onus on good design at the, at, at the higher level, you know? Yeah, and I wonder then, to continue on this, if you're still talking about a monolith in the definition that uh, that Cheesy was uh, was using, because it, it sounds like both in the case that you're referring to and the case of the microservices and the easier deployment that Cheesy was referring to, what you're doing is you're reducing complexity of both the deployment and how things talk together, right? And it's uh, it's really that that that, uh, that enables it. And if you can deploy a monolith uh, or one application. Let's not call it a monolith because there, we can talk about this for a little bit longer. But uh, one application, uh, you you deploy the entire application all the time, but you do know that the um, uh, the deployment process is not as cumbersome. Uh, then that's already a reduced risk. If you uh, have a better designed software uh, that is very modularized and you know that you make changes into one module and, and the communication between those is fairly clear and so on as well, then the risk of making a single change is also an awful lot smaller. So it's really about reducing that risk and getting that under control, whether you do it through modules, whether you do it through microservices, whether you do it through uh, several APIs or at least endpoints uh, to uh, to common functionality that you expose as different APIs. Those are all ways to reduce that complexity, and that's ultimately what it boils down to. So the the pushback that I'll give on this is that you know I, I I'm going to step out on the limb because I don't really understand or I don't know what Zerar side project is, but I'm guessing that one of the ways that he reduces risk is that there are not you know 
50 or 100 developers working on the monolith, but instead there's there's a few. So, you know, the, the definition of monolith that I have is something that's really big, something that's kind of old, something that has a lot of people working on it, you know. Uh, and so the risk comes not just from, you know, oh, well, I know where I can make a change, but the risk comes from, you know, you've got 80 people every day who are making changes to that one ultimate code base. And the communication between those 80 people become quite complex, you know, um, and, and of course we think that we could use, you know, we, we know that we could use tests to kind of mitigate that risk, but uh, but it, it does become uh, a little bit more challenging. The other thing is that, that that is my experience, and I kind of maybe baked this into my, my thought process is that whenever I think about a monolith, it typically is legacy code as well. It's typically code that's been around because there aren't too many people now starting with new projects that, that are saying, let me build this as a monolith. You know, we're, we're, we tend to start to right away think about how can I create multiple deployables and break it out? Zavar, what do you think? No, I, when you were talking, like uh, my mind went, uh, went to mono repos actually, because I feel like that's, that's become like the compromise between uh, sort of distributed computing of like different microservices versus like maintainability. Uh, and, and I know monorepos have their uh, own problems as well. Uh, but but I find like that seems to be a, w when the build system is right and the build is optimized, let me preface that because mon monorepos have major issues with, with, with build script and all that. But if those things are sort of sorted out, they seem like a good architectural pattern to both uh, improve uh, reusability, and, and I use that term in, in the good sense, uh, uh, while also in increasing testability and also making deployments easier, deployments smaller, I should say, uh, but while, while at the same time keeping the kind of the code base together and giving visibility across modules. And, and my mind is still not made up on whether monorepos are the, are the solution to the problems that you're describing, but I think they're a step towards it. Which, which, again, still problems to be solved related to the build, but but I feel it's progress. Can I ask you guys a question? Because because I'm I'm hearing almost like like three levels of 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 uh, modularization, right? So one on the repo side, but then we have we have one thing that we haven't really talked about is which is how you organize your code, right? So 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 regardless if you organize them into modules or it's in a monorepo, I think the key here is that that your your logical how you break down your application they have to have these these web of dependencies have to be as simple as possible and and I think that's what that's what I think the 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 the, the this this cohesion kind of question which is which is which is always comes down to right because sometimes these monorepos hide this 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 problem in a way so so the, the changeability or or if I change a piece how many other things might be impacted I think that's here what what we are also trying to to talk when we talk about modularization not necessarily only the physical like separating them into a repo or whatnot because they can be separated into separate into repos yet they still have like a million dependencies on that on, on that on, on that particular module or that particular thing so that's i just what, what do you guys think about that should, should we make it super explicit what we are actually talking about when we talk about modularization well yeah that's the whole thing right it's all about reducing that complexity right and making sure that the um um that the connection is an awful lot clearer and that things can live almost like in isolation, if you will, right? That's ultimately what you're trying to achieve with all of those things. So I want to add, you, you talked about 
yeah, I don't think you listed four, but you talked about the different ways that we are talking about modularization. One thing there is as well as how do those components actually communicate with one another? Because if you're setting everything up where you have synchron synchronous calls or synchronous communication between all those components, it makes it an awful lot easier, an awful lot harder, I'm sorry, to uh, to update one component alone. So making sure that that communication is asynchronous might uh, allow you as well to... Uh, um, yeah, basically deploy more incrementally and deploy more continuously. I talk about like event-driven architecture, for example, uh, you know? I'll tie that to decoupling of, of services. I think that's obviously we all agree that that's very important. And I think event-driven architecture, uh, and then that has that is a loaded term, but essentially a more pub-sub style of communication between your components even though it increases sort of the overall architectural complexity of the application, because now you have to worry about failover and replays and all these other things. If your goal is to, is to perform continuous delivery and deploy more frequently, uh, again, I'll use my example from this. Like if an order is placed and you want to send an email for the order, you want the email component to be decoupled from the placing of the order. Sure, in, in a traditional application, that would be a procedural code, send, accept order, send email but you're also introducing points of failure there and now if you you know and, and obviously that's not going to jive with cd so by decoupling that and increasing the overall complexity of the system you actually do need uh you actually do facilitate cd so i guess what i'm trying to say is uh it, it, you're not going to avoid complexity if you're trying to do continuous delivery you just have to hide it and isolate it really really well and if you're able to do that then you have a chance well, I, I just wanted to come back and talk about another topic that, that Zoar touched on briefly, but he didn't go into in, in depth. And that's the idea or the concept of reusability. Uh, so uh, I have found that sometimes the idea of reusability adds complexity and adds a lot of risk to the system. And so I wanted to uh, probe that just a little bit. And uh, I think Whenever we talk about something being reusable, it, it's it's important to kind of talk about at what level of granularity we're talking about. I, I think it was earlier somebody mentioned this idea. Maybe it was Chaba about having these big services. You know, they're they're trying to build services so that everybody could use. You know, and and you know, I mean, build the one service to rule them all that has this enormous interface and and uh, and so on and and. Obviously, they're doing that because their goal is is trying to get reuse, right? So this is sort of the enterprise architecture mindset of let's build these enterprise services and make them reusable so that everybody can use them. And that is a sure way to make sure that you never in your life get to uh, continuous delivery. So uh, and uh, because uh, now you've created incredibly tight coupling, you've created you know, dependencies around getting changes made. And, and you know, if it is truly in an enterprise, there are 20, 30 different consumers who are using that, each one of which needs certain changes or whatever it might be. So reuse at that level, I find to be just kind of totally counter to anything that, that, that might be con like continuous delivery. So what do you I guys would, think of that? I would add one caveat there. Not reuse, not designing for reuse. Reuse might emerge, though, but that's a different story, right? But designing for your reuse does exactly the things that you mentioned, Chasey. That's exactly what I was going to chime in with, uh, Hino, is that I, I think reusability only happens in hindsight. 
once you discover that you've done the same thing two or three times, I think then it's when it's time to think about about reuse. And, and wh- why does this happen in companies? I find because there's a lot of cost factors baked into the financial aspect of things where they assume that for, for a project or a product to make sense, it needs to have a certain level of reusability. So it's really just be- the bean counters talking about reusability, not, not, not necessarily the technical people who, who, who would prefer for reusability to emerge more than more than be planned for. Yeah. I find it happens in enterprises for a completely different reason, Gerard. It happens because managers want power. It happens because organizational structures are, are terrible, you know, and, and the architecture follows the organizational structure. And I would add that, unfortunately, and this is the, the opposite end of continuous delivery, many of these APIs in traditional organizations are still manually tested. So, so, so they want this, this to go through one testing cycle, right? So versus having 10 APIs or, or 20 consumers or whatever, one consumer each an API, because they say, that's crazy that we have to retest now every single API, right? For a change. So it's, it's funny that, that, that pretty much the, the, the manuality of this kind of pushes the organization towards a single reuse because they, they kind of incorporate that that reuse or the build once kind of mentality into that manual testing cycle. I, I do think that that reusability has a uh, reusability concerns, I should say, have a slightly bigger uh, place from um, from a UI development side than it is for pure kind of services or, or backend code. Because in, in in the UI side, you can sort of tell, you know, if, if, if you're designing a user experience for, for your customers. You sort of know like what components to use, and then you can say, okay, you know, the autocomplete is a very popular thing. Maybe we should design an autocomplete component instead of an autocomplete service, which is a, which is a different idea. So uh, I, I don't want to crap on the idea completely, but I 100% agree with Cheesy. I, I do think it has a slightly bigger place on the on the, on the user interface side. Okay, uh, it's, we're at uh, we're sort of at time. I don't know if you talked about our original topic, but I think we covered it enough, but not well enough that I can recap it right now for you. <laughs> so, uh, we, we've been all we've been all over. We're, we're not doing this frequently enough. Correct. We need to we need to increase our uh, our deployment frequency, and then uh, then we'll be able to to focus more. Yes, I think with those wise words, we will leave it at that. Thank you, Hino. Thank you, Cheesy. Thank you, Chaba. We'll see you again next week or the week after or pretty soon enough. Goodbye.